Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. How are you, Julia? I'm good. How are you? It's a beautiful Wednesday morning. Are you uh, Are you getting excited for the return to, uh, to socializing? I don't think I'm going to be able to handle it. I, I don't. I think I'm going to be too excited. I think I'm going to end up making some horrible social mistakes. I don't know. I think I'm going to be too overwhelmed, like the first big party I go to. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird because there's part of me that is like not looking forward to it. I'm like, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, six days a week, I uh, do self-care. So <laughs> um, yeah, I can't make it to your party. I'll be writing in my journal. Um, Absolutely. But I am excited to like never go online again, I think. <laughs> I took a week off Twitter um, about a week ago, and it was so good. Nice. I can't can't recommend it enough. Um, well, that's awesome. I yeah, I should do that. I just don't like I don't know. I was thinking about uh you know, just like how how much online has been a, a space for connection this year, mm-hmm. you know, and that, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I wonder if we will see people be completely sick of it, you know? Yeah. I kind of hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, oh, oh, man, I went, I went on a, a park date this week with a guy who had, like, obviously googled me a lot you know and oh great great start <laughs> yeah uh and i was thinking about that that was that's super weird it's really weird to be like um it's weird to put so many details of your life out on the internet because you know i guess like people that meet you like like dating or whatever like people do google stuff but like the asking directly like hey, by the way, so what about this and what about that? And, like, what about your first marriage? It was just like, oh, no, this is pretty creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like having someone being like, I would like you to respond to this tweet in particular. What did you mean by that? (laughs) Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have, I'm going to have the boys that, um, that I've dated that have had positive experiences in me, I'm going to have them make a like little Twitter accounts, like the Amazon FC ambassadors. So yes. Yeah. Actually, You're going to get, get a Stan army of, of Kate bots. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't know what their, like their, uh, their like, you know, name on Twitter is going to be like Kate Simps, you know, emoji, <laughs> smiley face or whatever. But you know, people are like, Kate's a dumb bitch. And, uh, you know, they'll tweet back, like, actually, she's never made me pee in a bottle. Amen. <laughs> um, but so, anyways, this week, I do, I, the story that I was excited to talk about um, was uh, a piece that Ken Klippenstein did for The Intercept. And uh, he was talking about how Amazon's uh, Twitter army was handpicked for a great sense of humor and so he got 
leaks documents and uh ken always gets like yeah so many people leak to ken you know like Mm -hmm. he's just so good at like getting getting shit um he's the he's the king of foyer yeah (laughs) he's the foyer king the foyer king himself (laughs) we we stand a man that makes foyer requests and then sues i mean yeah mm, and boy does he no one does yeah. it like ken no yeah I mean, we gotta like, we gotta have him back on he was so fun yeah we i know he was so great um ken if you're listening come back ken um, we love you yeah uh so anyways you, you know there's this uh union vote for um employees at the bassamer fulfillment center um Voted, they voted to unionize, um, and the results are not going to be in for a while. The vote ended yesterday. The counting has begun, and, you know, it, like, Bernie Sanders went down there, and this has been an issue with, like, a, a huge national profile, um, it, you know. So even if the that particular fulfillment center is able to, to unionize, there's still going to be a, a negotiation, um, you know, there will be like a, a process of ratifying a new contract. So anyway, it would also be like just an, an incredible step forward because, you know, the the abuses of Amazon employees have, have just They're been well coming documented. out. Yeah. yeah. Becoming um, out at an exponential speed. And also even, yeah, I mean, it could still be a very long process after they vote to unionize, which um, I saw with the the grad students union at Columbia University, um, Columbia didn't wouldn't meet with with their union for a long time until it was kind of like very much past the point of no return. So, yeah. <clears throat> and, and um, I, I'm sure we can imagine the same from Amazon. Sure, but so this is like this story that he did was about like their process for selecting reply guys, which is why I thought it was really relevant to the show, right? Because um, these are professional Amazon reply guys. And so these are like the people that you see on Twitter, the um, Amazon FC. It it seems like they're bots, but they're actually real people. Um, Amazon has a project called Veritas uh, to train fulfillment centers chosen for their, quote, great sense of humor. Um, to confront policymakers uh, and critics on Twitter in a, quote, blunt manner. And that's Ken quoting from their internal documents. Um, and, you know, so these are the people that are, are uh, tweeting things. Like he gives an example of someone replying to a tweet. My FC lets me take two 20-minute breaks and one 30-minute lunch. On overtime days, we get three 20 minute breaks, which is also pretty nice as well. Before the pandemic, our breaks used to be only 15 minutes. The overall 10 minute increase is thumbs up. Being an essential worker is dignifying for me, you know? And like, <laughs> I like, I mean, this stuff is whether, I don't know whether it's true for the people that are tweeting that stuff, who knows, but yeah, they're not choosing people who uh, are, you know, talking about their pee bottle experience. And, you know, just last week, um, Another another piece by Ken confirms that uh, that the, the the peeing bottles thing not only was it true but that Amazon like knew about it like they were discussing people peeing and shitting um, in like you know containers bottles uh, in their internal documents um, because 
you know, like with delivery drivers and with like warehouse workers, like, you know, they just, they don't have time to meet their quota and use the Mm -hmm. bathroom. So. And you know what I can't stop thinking about is, you know, in all of the, uh, the peeing in bottles conversations, if you're somebody who gets a period, how absolutely just disqualifying that must be for you to even take that job. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just... I mean, also, it's like, you know, unfortunately, people with, uh, you know, with women's reproductive organs can't pee standing up, and that's uh, our cross to bear. Okay, so I am actually going to correct you on that, because... <laughs> I can pee standing up, and I have done it many times. I've even done it into a bottle. And I, this is Are you serious? Is this real? This is real. But look, I did this at music festivals. It was not because. I knew you were going to say that. I know, yeah, because you've gone to, you've gone to Burning Man many times. But. Which I understand is the, the standing, like peeing while standing capital of America. Yes. And, you know, it's not. This is, this, it is abusive for anyone to require their workers to do this. Um, absolutely. And, you know, I hope that the union fucking defeats them and gets, uh, you know, dramatically improved conditions and higher pay for everyone. But it is possible to pee in a bottle as, as a, a person with, you know, uh, the parts that I have. What you do is you just, you put the bottle or the cup, like, right on your stuff and then you just pee you know but you have to it's the it's the directionality it's an informative episode for sure yeah. it's, it's it's about the directionality I, I i mean maybe i maybe my aim is just not as good as yours i think that's what we're learning in real time yeah i was i was uh <laughs> i um was i i don't remember what it was i was at some gathering this summer in the park with friends and it was like late at night you know one of the the social distance parkings and I uh I had to pee so I went behind a tree and I you know my my boyfriend saw me my ex-boyfriend you know she saw me out of the corner of his eye he's like did you just pee standing up and I was like yeah and it was like the first time I've ever felt a man have true respect for me (laughs) (laughs) so you know it is it is possible but i mean perhaps we shouldn't spread this perhaps we should not spread this rumor because we we don't want people to to (laughs) use it to abuse their employees but um, jeff bezos is gonna find this audio clip and use it to his advantage saying women women people with women's reproductive organs actually can pee standing up so Yeah. Um, so Amazon is the home of girl bosses everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I just, there's one more thing about Ken's piece that I think is really notable, which is that uh, these people were, these Amazon FC ambassador reply guys and gals and, um, the reply folks, you know, they, uh, they were also directed to, to, um, like, a tweet against uh to Bernie Sanders. Um Amazon 
and, and and some of this is coming from Amazon's PR account too. Um, it's also been replying like we all oh saw my on Twitter the Amazon's um, PR you don't account. really believe that about us about you, you employees don't really, peeing. You don't peeing really bottles, believe do the peeing in bottles thing, do you? Like it just sounded so <laughs> creepy. And I guess they were tweeting at Mark Pocan. Um, but um, the, uh, these Amazon FC ambassadors have uh, tweeted at Bernie Sanders. One of them said, I often say we are the Bernie Sanders of employers, but that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive oh, workplace. my <laughs> God. Yeah. So Bernie <laughs> tweeted about Jeff Bezos's wealth, you know, as he does, you know, let's see, Bernie is you know he's he's the the king of dragging the one percent and the amazon fc ambassador replies everyone should be able to enjoy the money they've earned and saved it's theirs they should be able to do with it as they please that includes jeff bezos this is so this is like out of the this is out of a boots riley movie you know like it's just uh so creepy that anyone has to tweet this shit and they do get paid for it so you know like this is i mean who knows what's true or not it sounds like it's a little bit of extra money in a very low-paying job and uh you know there's no ethical there's no unethical work in the gig economy i guess yeah (laughs) um yeah wow what a bleak it's a bleak time yeah, there's. If you have time to read the actual document that was leaked, uh, to to Ken, um, it uh, it talks about like the rules for these FC ambassadors. So they are allowed to uh have like their name dash ambassador city, and then their handle is Amazon FC, and then their name, and they uh they are. Uh, allowed to add an emoji to the username to give personality. For example, a small box emoji. emoji. We lean towards option seven, but if you don't love any of these, we can also use this time to brainstorm as a group. So I guess this is from uh, (laughs) their internal meeting. Um, And yeah, that's why they all look the same. Not actually bots, real real people that they have uh, corralled into tweeting about not peeing in bottles. God bless. Yeah. And Kate, I just want to say that it's it's very important that your cats are voicing their opposition to Amazon by absolutely screaming. <laughs> oh, man. Are they really? Yes. Oh, shit. I'm going to let them out. That no, is- it's so funny. I think it's perfect. Um, as I've said many times before, cats are socialist. Dogs are liberal. I mean, I'm the boss of them, you know? <laughs> they're, like, they're unionizing against me. And uh, honestly, I like having cats because it's my one opportunity to really feel all right about making unilateral decisions. You know, they get on the counter, I just pick them up, I put them back on the floor. We don't negotiate about it. Uh, it's the one place in my life where I'm truly a girl boss is with my cats. <laughs> um, all right, so you wanted to talk about... Oh, I wanted to, I mean, this is going to be quick and silly, but yeah, uh, I, if you haven't watched Lil Nas X's new video, um, for his song, Call Me By Your Name, it's very, uh, it's very campy, it's very fun, um, he descends to, in the video, he descends to hell on a, on a pole, and then gives Satan a lap dance, (laughs) and... 
it's created a lot of um I don't like real or contrived satanic panic uh among a certain subset of people so that's fun um but you know just some some levity in in the sphere it is people have pointed out that the video is pretty similar to fka twigs video cellophane and i agree with that but i think if you're just looking for a a fun thing to watch you can do worse than lil nas x's new video okay so let's say in a world that you don't have a boyfriend this is like you know totally hypothetical would you fuck satan yes or no God, I mean, it depends. I'm kind of sh- It's like it depends on what he looks like. I think if Satan had a beard, I would fuck him. <laughs> I think that's true about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm someone who would fuck Satan for the story. Um, you you no. would turn it in. You would turn it into like. 10 minutes of great bits, I believe. I want to say that I would fuck Satan for the story, and it would eventually become a story, but while I was doing it, I would be like, you know, I just feel like a lot of people don't see Satan's beautiful qualities. I know, and you would be like, I... You you, you would think you could change him, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, Which you, is powerful. Maybe you could become one of my reply guys. <laughs> Kate Willett, uh, DC Dick Center ambassadors. Yeah. (laughs) Kate lets me pee in her bathroom. Um, It's actually very nice of her. She never made me pee in a bottle. (laughs) Her cats are actually really cool. Oh, here's the other thing about this dude that Googled me a lot. And I want to know what you think of this before we go. Afraid of cats. Terrified of cats. Not allergic terrified that's interesting i don't know what to do with that like because cats are so small and they just sleep like i don't know listeners if i'm being judgmental in any way like tweet at me like you know a cat fear is a real thing but i just i look at them these guys are so small and i just you know they don't they don't chase you they're not like like uh bears or even like, <laughs> a huge dog that's, i mean well that that will be the ultimate the ultimate test of his uh, his affection for you. It's how, how far he will go for you, um, knowing that you have not one, but two cats. Yeah, well. We'll see. To be continued. It ended before it began. I, I was not, I, I, you know, we're, we're just not compatible, you know? I think yeah. I love, I love the little guys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um that's beautiful well i mean another another rousing week on the books i'm very excited uh about our interview this week um yeah this is a really cool one we have uh we we just did a patreon episode about this the situation um in echo park and we thought that it was so important that we wanted to to do another episode on it and so we talked to Tina Desiree Berg from the Status Coup about um, basically the uh, crackdown in Echo Park, uh, police crackdown that involved like removing like uh, a, a a really large community of people who 
were unhoused and had finally set up like like a, a yeah a community in in Echo Park and you know basically we got into nimbyism and why homelessness is is criminalized and you know why the fuck people have these like it just you know these really moralistic and wrong ideas about what it means to be unhoused and why people are unhoused and it, it was you know it's a great episode um Tina was on the grounds at the event so she and by the event I mean the, the protests where um the tons of police and protesters um like came to to uh try to prevent the removal and there were like 300 fucking cops um mm-hmm. Three or four hundred. I don't know. I don't remember what she says. Three hundred. Okay. Three hundred. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, just an absolutely, absolutely disgusting situation. Um, a cab. There's no reason <laughs> that many police need to be there, or even one. You know, no one was doing crimes, so you know. Amen. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Thank you. We will Bye. see you later this week. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. We are so lucky this week to be joined by Tina Desiree Berg from The Status Coup. And uh, we're going to be talking about the events that took place this week in Echo Park, um, Mm. which you wrote a great piece about. So Tina, for people who may not have been following this story or just following a little bit, can you give us an overview of what's been going on this week? Absolutely. So Echo Park was mainly the peak of what's been going on now for months in Los Angeles. I don't think it's any shock uh, for folks to hear that we have a very serious homeless problem and and have had one that's been escalating through the pandemic. Uh, But they've been using the LAPD to do what they call sweeps in the city, which is uh, basically the idea of a sweep is they're supposed to clean up the area where homeless folks are living, camping out, um, etc., but what ends up happening is their, their stuff gets thrown out, their tents gets thrown out, uh, all their belongings, everything just gets tossed and they clear the area out and they can't go back. So it's been very destructive for a group of folks that are already living in uh, very scary uh, situations. So in Echo Park this week, Mitch O'Farrell, who is the city council uh, person for that district decided that he was gonna close a park off um, called Echo Park Lake. So Echo Park Lake is a lake in the middle of the city. It's close to downtown LA. It's um, a large lake. They have swan boats in it, a lot of expanded grass area. But a lot of folks have been setting up tents there and also living in RVs adjacent to the park because there's plumbing there. It's adjacent to where they can purchase food. And so you have a just a large encampment there, folks that are living there. And it's been a fairly clean encampment because they do have the plumbing and they do have the bathrooms. Um, it's, it's a more ideal situation than what you would have if you were living under a freeway situation. So uh, what happened was we sort of knew that this was scheduled to happen this week, this sweep. But Mitch O'Farrell decided that he was going to enclose the park with chain link fence so nobody could get back into it and, and shut the park down. And they showed up with, um, and this is not an exaggerated number, 300 LAPD officers, 300, you heard that correctly, five helicopters, and they just brute force rampaged right through the park. Um, There were protesters there that were trying to prevent the sweep from happening. They had been there since early in the morning. 
And uh, it just was a really awful situation. And I don't think that this is the proper way to be handling what amounts to an economic situation that needs to be addressed by structural change. Especially in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, or at the ta- I guess at the tail end, hopefully, of a pandemic. Hopefully. But still, still very much in the thick of a pandemic. Seven eighths through a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, you know, I had spoken with several folks throughout the day that are unhoused and living there, um, either in tents or in RVs on uh, 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 the adjacent side streets. And so about 6 a.m., I went down there because I knew there was going to be a protest. They knew the sweep was coming. So some organizers decided to go to Mitchell Farrell's uh, district office there, which is a block and a half away. So about 300 protesters showed up to uh, show solidarity and support for that effort. And a lot of them remained throughout the day and into the night. Uh, But during the course of those events, I was able to speak to many of the unhoused folks. And the stories that they tell, I think, um, you know, kind of paint a different picture than what folks have been told it is, right? These folks are not all drug addicts. They're not all unemployed. I spoke to a couple that had two small children that were living in an RV. I spoke to a woman who had a job and she just you know, slept there because she couldn't afford rent. She couldn't afford a hotel, too expensive. So there's a lot of stories that are attached to this and it's not all drug addicts making messes everywhere. Of course it's not. And I think that that the narrative that we've been sold about unhoused people is obviously used to vilify them. And it's, it's kind of a weapon by which to make it easier to do sweeps like this and to treat unhoused people with no dignity or humanity. Right. Right. You know, UCLA recently had a report released that I thought was very telling of the situation you know, 74% of previously of that unhoused previously did have jobs. 19% lost their jobs in the last quarter. 19% last mm-hmm. quarter. Uh, you know, the average income before they became homeless was just a smidge under 20000 a year. And this is really an important metric because in a city where your average studio apartment, I'm not even saying a one bedroom, a studio apartment is 1800 to $2,200. Mm-hmm. So do the math on that. You cannot pay rent on minimum wage, let alone for food. So if you are the let head alone of the household, for kids too. I let mean, alone exactly, yeah, exactly. And that's part of it. You know, when they say they're talking about, you know, Biden and Harris have been talking about this bill they just passed. But one of the things that I have a problem with is they're using twenty eight k a year as a metric for a how uh, for pulling children out of poverty. If you are a household of four people, so that's the mom, dad, and the two kids. Twenty eight k? You are you kidding me? You need in the city of LA at least 70K a year for a family of four just to get by. I'm, I'm, you're not living high on the hog. You're just paying rent and, and buying food. That's it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, 70K for a family of four is scraping by in any major city in this country, especially one like LA. And this seems, I, I spoke to um, Jamie Loftus, who reported on this for Knock LA um, for our Patreon episode. And I think that this is a trend in cities where unfortunately the, you know, the wealth gap is becoming larger and larger and the barrier to entry for housing is becoming higher and higher. And then at the same time you make homelessness basically illegal. Um, You know, so you have more and more people who are unhoused and then you have more of these altercations with the police 300 police 
police officers, you know, 60 police vans. Yeah. What an enormous amount of resources spent for five helicopters. Absolutely. For an encampment that was, you, you know, by by me- multiple accounts, not a dis- not really a disruption to the area. Uh, you know, I think part of it is that we don't we don't see these people as as our neighbors, but they are, and right. and that's again stripping them stripping them of the hu- of their humanity is the point for people like Mitch O'Farrell because it to him they're disposable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the area has been heavily gentrified in the last two years, and I think that's part of it. So this was an area where, you know, five or six years ago, you had the LAPD running through there with a gang injunction, which is a conversation for a different day. But they pretty much decided to criminalize poverty. Uh, Echo Mm -hmm. Park is now like the new Silver Lake because Silver Lake is all million dollar homes. Um, I live in an area called Eagle Rock, which is just slightly north of there. And I bought my house a long time ago. My neighborhood has been entirely gentrified, all million dollar homes. So Echo Park was the next obvious spot to spread out into. But the unfortunate reality is these folks are getting displaced. They work service jobs. They don't make enough money. And really, if we want to deal with the problem, we have to deal with actual structural change. And that means a minimum wage of at least $25 an hour. Right. And show me the party that wants to do that. The Democrats aren't interested and the Republicans aren't interested. They're even worse. So we're in a situation where, and especially in the state of California, you can't really talk about California politics without looking at the fact that you have a Democratic Party that's a one-party system, but it's really not because you have the progressives and the, the Bernie Sanders supporters that are on one side trying to push for progressive reform. And then the establishment Democrats, which is like a Garcetti, a Gavin Newsom, a Kamala Harris, these folks are very much ingrained in um, in wealth. They're ingrained in, in neoliberal policy, policies like privatization. A lot of the money that they've taken in is um, from real estate development. Of course. And we've had, yeah, so we've had a lot of real estate development scandals here in LA with uh, Jose Quasar, if you follow that situation is an obvious one. They've been using behested payments, um, which, you know, look that up if you don't know what that is. It's a way for them to collect money that goes into their inauguration accounts and they get it from private corporations. They get it from nonprofits. And we actually don't know where all the money goes. They might say it goes to Project House Key or Project Room Key, but does it? It's it's campaign. It's not, it is campaign finance, but it's not regulated as such. It's dark money because it's not regulated by the FEC by virtue of what it is. You know, and the unfortunate reality is, is they do these things and then the Republican party runs away with it and they make it into something bigger than what it is or different than what it is. But there's always a seed of truth to what the Democratic party hands to the Republicans in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get down to the bare scratch down to the blow, you're like, well, there's an actual problem here. Why don't they address the problem? Well, I mean, again, it's the same argument you see across the country. It's between the donor class and the working class. And it just is more uh, it's more butting heads in this state because of the wealth inequality is so extreme. I mean, you, you can go to Nancy Pelosi's district and time and time again, people are like, why does Nancy have that job? She's only catering to wealthy people. Well, her district is wealthy people. Right. The average income yeah. in that district is 160000 a year. So <laughs> the average, the average. I am a, yeah i i lived in the bay area for a long time and okay. it's, it's definitely like san francisco is so wealthy at this point i think one thing that 
really opened my eyes a few years ago but uh, was a Thomas, Thomas Frank's book Listen Liberal it's and such a great book yeah and he has a, a like a whole section of the book devoted to uh like basically proving that the Democratic Party is not on the side of the working class by going through what's happening in the bluest of the blue states like Massachusetts like California like New York and you know, it's, we, we get these, uh, you know, these talking points parroted from, you know, various liberal commentators of this and this problem would be fixed, you know, if we just elected Democrats, but we're seeing that in the places like Los Angeles, like New York, like the problems are not fixed. Like Democrats are still on the side of the ruling class and that the, the situation makes that so evident. So evident. It's so evident. And, you know, the, and we don't even know if the data we're looking at is actually accurate. You know, we have data, but I, I think it's very, I think homelessness is very much underreported in the city. You know, they're saying it's 60,000 per night in the city of Los Angeles. I, I'm saying it's way higher than that. I don't think that's accurate at all. And uh, that's not even taking into account the idea that a lot of these folks are living in hotels. Um, they, that's not stable housing either, especially if you have children. Right. Yeah. And isn't that kind of a cornerstone of of Project Roomkey, which is um, kind of heralded by people like Mitch O'Farrell as a panacea, but it is like, you know, he, the, the, as it's been explained to me by people who are, you know, on the ground in LA, um, Mitch O'Farrell has painted it as, um, you know, these protesters are really, they're impeding uh, the work that I'm doing. I, I'm trying to house all of these people. Yeah. And I want to house them, and I've already housed like 120 of them. Uh, but it's it's temporary. <laughs> it's temporary housing. 120 of them, and we have 60,000. Right. Well, let's just look at that. You know, I my car got stuck behind the police line on uh, on that night, so I couldn't even drive myself home. I had to come back and get my car two days later. Different story, but. But Mitch O'Farrell put this flyer on my window because I think he thought I was sleeping in my car. And one of the things that he talks about is this program that he has for safe parking, where you can go to this specific lot if you're sleeping in your car and, and it's safe to park there. Well, guess how many vehicles this lot accommodates? How many? Take a wild guess. 100. 50. <laughs> 14. Oh my God. What the hell? <laughs> we would not have, we were not guessing that. It was like 14. I thought I, thought I was going low <laughs> at 50. I thought Julia was trying to outdo me with the low guess. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm more cynical this time. But actually, we're both. 14. I mean, are you kidding me right now? 14? That's, that's your, that is you trying to help these folks. And, and when he was saying that stuff, I was getting. That's not even enough for a whole no. football team. No, it's ridiculous. It's beyond absurd. And then here's the other thing to keep in mind uh, as he's saying this. Some of those folks that agreed to his terms were taken all the way out to Palmdale, which is, you know, 65 miles north of where we are. Nowhere near L.A. Some of those folks might have jobs that they need to get to. Not to mention the gas money and the lift money. And like, I mean, it's just, you know, so what? You're spending like $100 a day to get to work. You know, that's just, it's absolutely outrageous. It's outrageous. And between the 300 LAPD officers, the, all the cars, the buses, the five helicopters, if you add up everything that they spent 
doing this craziness, mm -hmm. they could have housed all of these folks. They could have built a permanent structure. Of course they could have. I mean, so, it's we we deal with a lot of uh, similar things here in New York. It's no secret that um, corporate real estate is um, its own terrible beast here, of course, um, as it is, you know, in, in all the major cities. But, you know, how many we have... I think twice as many vacant apartments, even before the pandemic, we had twice as many vacant apartments uh, in New York as there are unhoused folks. Um, and it's right. just, and, you know, and, you know, we live in a state, again, a quote unquote safe blue state or whatever that absolutely refuses to pass a pied-a-terre tax um, which would be a tax specifically on people who don't use, who, for whom those apartments go vacant because they don't use it. It's right. their, it's not their primary residence. Um, and even though a, an, a, a pied-a-terre tax is overwhelmingly supported by New York constituents, it cannot get an ounce of oxygen, uh, in the state house because, because of that, because so many of our, I mean, and also like our governor is it's no secret is in very much in the pocket yeah. of, uh, you know, among other things, among his other issues right now um, that he created. Um, he's very much in the, the pocket of corporate real estate and just corporations in general in this state. Um, and yeah, he has- and the IDC, you know, the IDC was very detrimental in your state. Sure. I mean, and thank God, that like you know there has been like a a real like progressive upswing and like a lot of uh grassroots based campaigns that have ousted the idc and we're we're very grateful for that but uh that's not to say that corporate money <laughs> the corporate real estate money is in any way out of albany uh, i, I want to just defend andrew cuomo for a second <laughs> yes yes it was bad what he did with the IDC, but on the other hand, that was time that he did not spend sexually harassing people. Yeah, that's you know? true. So, I you know we're, like we're happy there. for we're happy for a diversion where we can where we can yeah. get it. I understand. And you have an issue with hedge funds buying up real estate in New York City as well, because that's part of the problem here. For example, if uh, you know if you have a hedge fund that owns housing, they don't care about necessarily renting it out per se. So you do have vacancies for that reason. I'm not, I'm, I'm not wondering. I mean, I'm wondering if you have the same yes. sort of setup going on. Okay. So BlackRock is like that. Um, oh yeah. BlackRock's the worst. Um, yeah. And they own, I mean, and also a lie that we're told here in New York and I'm sure everywhere that tries to pass rent control or anything is the, the myth of the mom and pop landlord. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, I think there was, I don't know the exact statistics, but the majority of New York City landlords own upwards of 10 buildings. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> crazy. In California, uh, we actually had really decent rent control laws until we, we passed a bill called Dacosta Hawkins. 
And so folks that aren't familiar with that, they made a deal. These were Democrats. Costa and Hawkins are both Democrats. They made a deal that they could get rid of um, adding new rent control laws on new buildings, meaning that if you build a new building, it would be exempted from the current mm. rent control laws and it would only apply to buildings in some areas built before 1968. Others, it was a different cutoff. A little bit of um, complications in there, but you get the gist of what was going on. And the trade-off was that we, we already have all this large stock of rent control apartments, so we'll be fine, um, but we need to do something about bringing fresh development into the city because it's getting run down in areas. You know, some of the arguments you hear time and time again. Well, what happened was uh, a lot of these real estate development uh, and hedge funds, BlackRock has spent a lot of money trying to get propositions passed or not passed in the state. But what happened was, is they went in and they tore down the old buildings that were covered under the rent control laws, and they just built new ones in its place, ergo no rent control. Right. Uh, one of the areas where that didn't happen is Santa Monica because of the building code alone. So people wonder why there's still a lot of rent control apartments in Santa Monica. This would be why the building code saved them. But other parts of the city, like downtown, et cetera, no such thing. You know, we try to correct this uh, by bringing rent control pack back in. You know, BlackRock spent a lot of money with some other hedge funds and REITs to defeat the bill that would have done that. And, you know, time and time again, it frustrates me because of the money they spend. Voters don't really understand what they're voting on. You know, I think Prop 13 reform is a second conversation. This was in our last ballot where we were looking at splitting the roles, which was a really smart idea. And when you split the roles, you end up having commercial property on one side and then you have homeowners on the other. So the homeowners would be grandfathered into the property taxes that they're under with Proposition 13. But the commercial properties would now have to start paying market value, which is really important. I mean, Chevron has, for example, a refinery up in Richmond, California, which is closer to the Bay Area, where they pay next to nothing in property taxes because of Prop 13. So obviously the business roundtable doesn't like that. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't like that. BlackRock doesn't like that. And, you know, they, they run these distorted ads and, and messaging. And for some reason, time and time again, Californians buy into it. And we have a really hard time passing progressive legislation because of it. Right. And, you know, and we feel for them because Chevron is just a mom and pop oil co corporation. Yes. Um, Mr. Chevron. Mr. Chevron. He's got to be like a hundred years old at this point. Yeah, right? and you know what? He, we, we love him and the work that he and his family do. <laughs> we love that for him. Yes, we love that for him. Yeah, no, I, I think that this is what frustrates me when I see uh, certain. Candidates rise to prominence both at the city level, at the state level, um, and it's usually people from the the corporate class, uh, and they act like they're the first person to ever think, "What if we ran government like a business?" <laughs> and I, this it just belies the fact that business owns the government as it currently stands. Um, any of these large like. The problem is not that these cities are not business friendly enough is that they have let the businesses run the cities and the states, um, the large businesses, of course, uh, not not your mom and pop. Not the business. actual mom and pops. pops. Right. Yeah, yeah. 100%. it's just, you know, it's absolutely um, 
it's, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what I want to say. I grew up in California and I feel oh, like pe people do have this idea that Californians are really liberal because, you know, some are and like there's all the stereotypes of the Bay Area and like, you know, actors and actresses, you know, tweeting about Black Lives Matter and like the, the public face of it. But I mean, I remember when I was growing up there, uh, like, what was it, Prop 87? That was oh, one yeah. of the that was one of the cruelest things that I've ever seen, you know, um, just yeah. like super, super um, anti-immigrant. It was very then, racist. Yeah. Then uh, what was it? Prop 8, like back in 2008 or something that yeah. um, defined marriage as between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and like there's definitely like there's a lot of conservative people in California. And um, yeah, the the this public face of it is not always what it seems um right that's kind of making me and think a lot of those folks are democrats let's be honest that's the unfortunate reality is i think when it comes down to it they give a certain level or cer certain superficial level to certain types of social policies but if they think it's going to affect their pocketbook they're out it's i mean it's classic nimbyism it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> that's exactly what it yeah. is yeah I, yeah i was i was just about to 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 bring that up, I completely agree. Um, you know, I am sure that O'Farrell would not have done this if he did not perceive there to be some political advantage for himself in doing so. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I think that like the, the posts that you see online about how like what's happening in Echo Park is just horrible it's not like representative of the attitude at large because there are so many NIMBYs and they don't, they don't post, you know, they don't post like, Hey, I'm a NIMBY or whatever. Cause they do think in some cases that, you know, unhoused people like something helpful should happen for them, but just, you know, not in their backyard, not in their park. Right. I think the problem is, is, is people are just really detached from the actual structural problem. I'm going back to this idea that you can't, so, I mean, look at all the people that say, well, we can't raise the minimum wage because if we do, there'll be inflation, cost of goods will go up. None of this is true. But this is the arguments that you hear being made, whether it's uh, from the Reaganites that are still around or even from the liberals that are, uh, you know, from the Clinton faction of the Democratic Party. They make these arguments because they're they're part of the corporate oligarchy, the platonomy. But the reality is, is you can't really deal with the situation unless there is structural change in this regard. You know, one of the things that Joe Manchin talked about in regards to minimum wage is like he was willing to talk about it, not to 15, but I think 11 or 12, he said, if it was indexed to inflation. And, you know, my response to that was like, my God, Joe, if it had been indexed to inflation this entire time, it would be like $22, $23 an hour. Yeah, That's not so, you know, and where that money's going to come from is quite simple. It's going to come from the upper class. It's going to come from the platonomy that is extracting your wealth. So there's this there's this really, uh, you know, some people play stage capitalism. I think it's just the death rattle. <laughs> of our entire economic system yeah. because now we're looking at you know a situation where we're going to have more homeless folks because of the rent uh eviction is going to end nobody's discussing what happens to that back rent money we have folks that have not paid rent now for you know 11 12 months and they owe their landlords 11 12 thousand dollars or more how are they supposed to pay that 
I've been thinking about that a lot because I mean, if you don't have a thousand dollars one month, you're not going to have $12,000 the next month. And I, yeah, I mean, when I talk to people about this, uh, all but the most cynical people I know will be like, well, they'll have to do something. But I mean, that's what we always say. We always say right. they have to do something. And in fact, it just doesn't happen. In fact, people got almost no assistance to get through the pandemic. No, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. That was Tina Desiree Berg. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can check out more of her work uh, as the host of 34th Podcast. She also writes for Status Coup, and you can find her on Twitter at, at Tina Desiree Berg. Her Twitter name is Notorious Lefty Desiree McLefty Face. So a classic one. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They're always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.